0: What does it take to start a hydropower company from the ground up? In this green light episode, I will speak with Gia Schneider about this, what it was like to start Natal Energy with her brother and father, as well as their fish-safe hydropower projects with Apple in Oregon and My Hydro in Africa. Natal Energy has been featured by Bloomberg and Time and has been named the Fast Company's World-Changing Ideas 2020 list, alongside several other innovative breakthrough energy venture companies. I will also speak with Gia about the ways in which Natel is making it safer for fish to pass through hydropower turbines without compromising on power or efficiency, as well as hearing Gia's insights on what leaders need to drive real change within climate tech. Thanks for tuning into The Green Light. Now let's dive in. I'm McLean founder and CEO of Dylan Green and today I have with me Gia Schneider. Gia is joining us from Natel Energy and she's based in the Bay Area. Thanks for joining me Gia. Thanks for having me on the, your podcast
1: Catherine.
0: Congrats on recently being featured by the time in Bloomberg as well as being named and this is hopefully I get it right fast companies world-changing ideas 2022 list <laughs> alongside a host of other breakthrough energy venture companies. So for those of you who don't know, can you briefly explain like what solutions help provides and how your solutions are unique?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, it is definitely an honor to be included in those lists mm-hmm. and really a testament, frankly, to the work of a whole team, that the team that we have here at Natel. that is really the reason why we've had these accomplishments. Mm-hmm. So just in terms of what we do, we were founded with a focus on making hydropower, which is a renewable energy source that we've had for a long time. It's actually the world's largest source of renewable energy today. And we wanted to modernize it, basically address some of the sustainability hurdles that hydro faces. And uh, specifically we do that through fish safe turbines. So if you think in a wind turbine, the blades that spin in hydropower, similar uh, water moves blades. And what we have developed is a really cool way to make those blades safe for fish to pass through without compromising on power output or efficiency.
0: So how exactly is Natal enabling hydropower to become more sustainable and fish safe? There was an example I know that Natal conducted like a series of DOE-supported
1: studies in the Pacific Northwest. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And again, what happens in hydropower, I have turbines in the water, I move water through them. And Mm -hmm. so of course, whatever is in that water, I either need to be able to pass through my powerhouse or send it around. And so the conventional... Turbines that we have today do a mixed job, frankly, at passing fish. Some do pretty well, others not quite as well. What we saw, though, was an opportunity to really focus in very specifically on the ability to have turbines safely pass fish um, through the turbine. And the reason why we want to do that is because if we can pass fish safely through the turbine, then we can put more of the water through the powerhouse and generate more energy with it. And we can also reduce the complexity of the project. And we don't have to have screens and some of the other things that can add both capital cost and ongoing O&M cost to hydropower projects. So the way that we accomplish this is our specific blade design is one where we have a very thick leading edge. So conventional blades are very thin and our design basically has a very thick leading edge that thick leaning edge basically creates like a pressure field if you will ahead of the blade as it moves through the water Mm -hmm. and that basically helps to deflect fish around the blades as opposed to a thin blade where I end up with a direct strike and that's kind of the core in a very simplistic way and then in terms of proving the results we have done a number of tests at this point with independent third parties including Pacific Northwest National Labs, Mm -hmm. management associates, Alden Research Lab, anyhow testing eel, trout, and some a type of river herring in both field and lab conditions, so kind of range of data, range of test conditions, range of species, and we've consistently demonstrated greater than 99% safe passage for different types of fish across a, a very broad range of operating conditions. Amazing. I
0: wanna talk a little bit about your upbringing. It sounds like you had an interesting upbringing having lived in a log cabin in Texas. I don't always associate log cabins with Texas, so learn something new every day <laughs> that your dad built. And I believe your dad was also a doctor, an inventor, a farmer, a sailor, and you and your brother formed uh, Nattel together by leveraging technology that your father developed. Can you talk about how your upbringing influenced your career trajectory and the challenges um, you face at Natel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the log cabin was, yeah, you know, it it was only a log cabin in the sense that it was built from logs and (laughs) uh, somewhat rustic appearance, but in other, you know, cases, it was a fairly like modern house. The, I think from an upbringing perspective, one of the big influences was the fact that my father, like as far back as I can remember, was very focused on climate change as being, frankly, a serious. Challenge that we, as a, you know, whole Earth would have to address. And so I like remember having conversations with him that were, you know, probably when I was like mid 80s. So I must have been like seven or eight, you know, where he would talk about climate change as being hotter, wetter, colder, drier. he was mm-hmm. like there's all these things, and ultimately, warmer air holds more water, and therefore we're gonna have a more like more velocity in our water cycle. And then that has a whole set of impacts. And the bottom line is it means some places will get hotter, some places colder, other places wetter, other places drier. And it's all going to be just a lot of change. And it's funny is like in the last year, I feel like that basically, like I've started to see, you know, articles, which talk about exactly that, like put, start to put those words in the same, you know, in the same phrase. So that really for me was the grounding focus for wanting to spend my work or my life like focused on tackling climate change. Um, And I guess your brother shared the same feelings. Absolutely, yeah. We grew up <laughs> together. Obviously, we grew up together, and um, and we both uh, went through this. And I think that we expressed our interest in tackling climate change in slightly different ways. We both are technically engineers. I say technically in my case because while I have an engineering degree, really my career has been focused in more of the finance and business side of renewable energy, and whereas my brother stayed focused on the engineering side, but. Yeah. In some ways that kind of gave us very complementary skill sets as yep. we then move forward to start netel. Sometimes we used to joke with my dad that he like did he plan this in some way. Yes, yeah, so I think similar motivations for us and then we've expressed it in different ways and then that's helped us as we you know partner together to build netel. Frankly, I think really really helpful to have those different perspectives and different strengths. What is where does the word netel come from? Natural electric. So, when we were starting the company, we had and that, I mean, definitely had a discussion as everybody does around like what to name it. And it was one of those ones where I was like, okay, I think this will work. It kind of encapsulates what we do. We can talk about it really yeah. quickly. And, uh, and like, we need to get on with like figuring out what we're doing. And, yeah. uh, and yeah. that was the genesis of the name. Oh my gosh. I've named two
0: companies and it is like the hardest thing ever. And then when you do it, you're like, oh, that was so obvious. Yeah. Why did it take me so long to think of it? <laughs> But your dad must be like super proud, obviously, of you guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He was a part of
1: getting this all going. And I think yeah. He
0: really, yeah. Awesome. So I noticed that you guys are working now in Africa and you're working with a hydropower startup called My Hydro, provide greater energy access to places like the Congo. You also worked with Apple in Oregon. What are some of the projects that you're
1: most proud of and why? Well, I mean, I think that those those are two to start with. I think mm-hmm. that, I'll start first, you know, with the project in Oregon, that was a project which, again, the things that have been really transformational for us about that project are that we actually installed the turbine there in late summer of 2020. And really, it's a testament. I mean, lots of cool things have happened at the project, but just the fact that we were able to as a team execute and get that project installed and online within two weeks of the original date when obviously COVID happened. That's amazing. Um, was is just again really a testament yeah. to the team doing an incredible job um, managing through some very, you know, obviously, you know, good thinking back to like March, April of 2020 yeah. is a little mind-boggling now. So that's one, I, and I just call it that—that that, like that accomplishment. And then we've been able to at Monroe like show that the turbine is reliable, that it's generating energy as expected. We've been able to do several different fish passage tests there in the field with Pacific Northwest National Lab, and so that's been really great because that has been given us the data, some really conclusive data around greater than ninety-nine percent safe fish passage. And then looking forward to the project coming up in Africa with my hydro. We're really excited to get going on that. I think what My Hydro's vision is to build hydro-backed microgrids to bring really, again, much needed electrification to some areas that don't have very good energy access right now. So that's going to be super exciting. Africa has a ton of hydro potential. Um, Most of it today has been developed in really large mega projects, and those projects while they're good at generating energy, they tend to not bring the benefits of electrification to rural communities and, you know, smaller communities. And so yeah. you know, we're really excited to work with my hydro on addressing that part of the market.
0: It's just so important, is it? It's like corporations come in and solve one issue, but don't necessarily aren't inclusive, which is just a, such a shame. Right. So as Natal is the first company you have founded and been the CEO of, how did you know what to do when it came to running and growing a business? Like what advice would you give others who are also looking to build their first climate tech companies?
1: Yeah, I think I'd sum it up and this will sound very like kind of, you know, like, oh, this is all obvious from the beginning. And I think that's maybe a first starting point is that it's not all obvious at the beginning. So a core thing is to learn and adapt and to be kind of fairly relentless about asking yourself constantly the question of, do I understand my problem? Do I understand my customers? Do I understand the solution? And do I have a good fit? That is very fundamentally what we're trying to do, right? Solve the problem with a product, get that out to customers and that has to match. And so like you have to constantly question that and sure. and make sure that there's a good, a good fit. And we've done that from the beginning so I think that's been an important element. There're times when I wish we had, you know, been more aggressive in our questioning because I think it would have helped us, you know, make certain adjustments more quickly, but again that's something that you just learn over time. And that leads to my second point which is that inevitably there you will make mistakes and there will be things that you're like, "Oh, I wish I, you know, done something." And I think the key there is to not get bogged down in, you know, to take the learning without you know, regrets.
0: Because, Without beating yourself up. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I regret understand. is like,
1: yeah, yeah. Emo- yeah, it's a an emotional energy drain that there's so much that you need to do in building. Yeah. You have to learn and keep moving. So, yeah, no, I hear you. You learn more from the mistakes.
0: It, it's just irritating that you have to You wind up learning more from the mistakes because, you know, you seem a little <laughs> similar to me that you're, probably like a little bit of a perfectionist. And so, you know, you want everything to go right all the time. And unfortunately it just it doesn't always happen. So it's just yeah. not beating yourself up about it for too long.
1: Exactly. exactly.
0: <laughs> so how has your management style changed over the years? And
1: can you share anything you've learned about what it takes to be an effective leader? So we definitely have changed quite a bit. So we're now you know, 65, maybe a few more people now, and that, that brings a lot of change, right? So, so one important thing for me that I think I'm still learning from, or or like evolving in is the fact that my role changes over time from, you know, in the early days you Mm -hmm. do a lot, or I did a lot of everything, right? (laughs) (laughs) And now it's much more about enabling people on the team, finding Mm -hmm. good people, and then enabling great people to shine, And that, that I think is, is ultimately then more of my job. And I think like, you just have to learn that I would, I would rate myself as like, you know, I'm, I'm figuring that out. And I think the other really important thing for me as we've grown as a company is to really focus then on finding great people, like people who are better than me at those specific things, because again, that's the only way you build a, a strong team that is actually able to scale on the leadership side. I think that's again, something that for me is, is kind of evolving where, there's a lot of like outward facing leadership uh, increasingly in terms of like telling our story. So it's like one thing to lead and another thing to manage. Right. And, uh, and so I, another kind of evolution for me is, is understanding the difference between those two and then more intentional about, again, the things I need to do to be a good manager versus the things that I need to do to be a good leader.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I I got you. And has that come from experience or do you utilize any sort of like tools? Cause I get asked all the time by companies, like everybody seems to be using like a different kind of assessment on how they work well with others or like how they play
1: in the sandbox together. <laughs> yeah. We, we've kind of have done a couple of different, use some services with respect to like coaching and manager training. I would say it's, it's. In general, on balance useful. I mean, there's no great like one answer. And it's probably yeah. why you see a lot of things because at the end of the day, it, it it does come down to like, I think you have like I have to do work to figure out what works and some of what works will work well for one part of the team, but not for other parts. And I think that's also a constant evolution. But the, I think there are some, you know, key grounding principles that you can take away, which is that, and again, I would say, you know, for us, we're at a point in our journey where, which I think every startup finds, where you'll you have moments where you're growing fast and you're just like so stretched. So you don't necessarily have time as a team to do as much of like the cleanup organization around processing mm-hmm. tools. And so we're definitely in a state where we have some, you know, process organization debts to dig ourselves out of in you know, order to like close. And we're in the process of doing that now. And I think that's also just something that you've got to like constantly figure out how to yeah. so
0: Yeah, it's, it's hard when you're so busy to do the like reflection. So looking back, what would you have told yourself 10 years ago? Is there anything that you would have done differently?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> I think my answer to that will be that absolutely. There's, there's a whole, you know, from a learning perspective, but it's very hard. I, I think that maybe the key things are again, kind of make sure that you question. Cause as I, as I mentioned, there were, I think a few times where if we had questioned ourselves a little bit more rigorously on yeah. our product market, like that specifics, we would have made adjustments more quickly and yeah. would have helped accelerate our path into the market. And that's kind of the core. Like you got to keep, keep that questioning because that's how you validate that you're gathering data. That's moving you towards right. the conclusion that, that, that not That's not enough itemized. to have,
0: a, it's not enough to just be a mission driven organization there has to also be a need that you're filling in the market like you said
1: and that you need to go to whoever those the stakeholders customers (laughs) client like whatever you're what however you would characterize the external parties that you are you know delivering value to you know make sure that you're getting feedback from them Great. And, and again, it's a balance, right? You know, with this energy transition, we're definitely like a whole host of innovators across the space are trying to do, you know, big things to fundamentally transform the way our economy works, right? We're trying to right. electrify everything. We're trying to move away from, you know, fossil fuel. Those are massive changes to the foundational elements of our economy. And so there's an element of like, if you think back maybe 10, 12 years, right? When Tesla was just like early, early, lots of different, things and opinions but at the end of the day with respect to electric vehicles like fundamentally the view on evs has 100% transformed and like there are things like that as we move make this transition where it's like you know there's one element that you have to have belief right which is like this is something that we need to do and then there's an element to are we making progress you know, as I, as I do that hypothesis testing, Mm -hmm. there's always a bit of a mix there. Cause you could have said in the early days of EVs, perhaps the hypothesis testing would have said you need to stop, but the reality is actually, so there's a balance there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, no, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and I wish you all the best and everything that you're doing for clean energy economy and women being a woman CEO (laughs)
1: I, I I am hopeful on that front. I think that there's a lot of good positive change. I am not always as conscious actually of that being the label I need to apply. And I think that's really good from the perspective of, I don't know, it's one of those things we pay attention to because we want to continue to build diversity intentionally and it requires intention, Um, but at the same time, you know, it's also good that if that become more of like a common thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you, but I think that there are Definitely women who, when they see companies or evaluating companies that are led by either a woman CEO or just women leadership in general, are confident in the knowledge that those companies are going to be a certain way and seek out those organizations. And I think what's nice is there are, like you said, there's more organizations now for them to look at because everyone's hiring. So the candidate yeah. is running running the show so they can choose where they want to go. And Absolutely. if they that's important to them, then that gives you a really good USP because I see a lot of companies trying to do it retroactively mm-hmm. to try and yeah. <laughs> change diversity. It's easier yeah. just to do it in the beginning. From the start. Diversity
1: begets diversity. (laughs) Absolutely. And that maybe would be the other point, like in terms of recommendations to startups, is like focus on it early. Like you'll you will hear sometimes from investors and other folks that like you know you just need to like go. And it's sometimes easy to have a default profile, particularly of like experience of that has you know done it before and knows how to scale a business. And and it again, it's a balance, but I do think again, as your company grows, you will be trusting the people you hire, the senior leadership team to hire more people. And if you haven't started, it just is so much harder to retroactively fill in. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for your time, Gia. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for listening to the Green Light Podcast. Are you looking for your next role in climate tech? Join the latest growing network of clean tech professionals and be the first to know about when industry-leading clean tech companies first post new job openings, from development to finance to marketing, by checking out our website, dylan-green.com latest jobs. Dylan Green is transforming business through talent. You can also find us on YouTube, where we engage with today's top clean energy leaders.